0: Okay, we'll try to cover a lot of territory, a lot of scripture this morning, and uh, show you the reasons why we need salvation, the reasons why we need salvation. We're going to try to cover up through chapter 3, verse 21, we'll just see if we have time for that, but chapter 2 and verse 17 We begin reading there. Behold, thou art called a Jew and resteth in the law and makest thy boast of God and knowest his will and approvest the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. We're talking about all of that Old Testament there that what the Jewish people would call the Tanakh. First five books of the Bible, the Torah, the instruction, the writings and the prophets. All of that is what he's talking about here. And it says they were instructed out of the law. We're talking about the Old Testament. And art confident that thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Thou therefore, which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law dishonorest thou God. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you as it is written. For circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law, but if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law?" For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. What advantage then hath the Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? Much every way, chiefly, because that unto them were committed the oracles of God, or the word of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid, yea, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written. That thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commend the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man, God forbid, for how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner?" And not rather as we be slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, Let us do evil, that good may come, whose condemnation or damnation is just. What then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise. For we have before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, not anyone, literally. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one, not anyone does good. Amen? Their throat is an open sepulcher, and their tongues, they have used deceit with their tongues. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways. And the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things serve the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your awesome word today. We ask God for your anointing, your inspiration today to be upon us, to declare it in this house. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. In this particular passage, Paul is dealing with the Jewish man and where he fits in the New Testament. Most Jewish people, even today, will hold on to the fact that they're saved simply because of their heritage, because they are Jewish. That automatically makes them saved. But heritage, as we're going to see here, does not protect you or secure you, okay, Uh, security doesn't come based on your nationality or your natural descent or your heritage. Just because they were Jewish, and oh, man, they're awesome. I mean, to thank God for the Jewish people. And I don't say this in disrespect, but it's the truth of the Bible. That just because you're Jewish doesn't mean that you're automatically right with God. Just because you have that heritage. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about that this morning. This false security. The Jewish people had the false sense of security. A lot of people in the church world today have a false sense of security. They feel like because they're a member of a denomination or they go to church or they, go, you know, they have a knowledge of the scripture or they possess the Bible um, or they're custodians of the Bible that that automatically makes them right with God. But just because I came to church today and just because I go through the form doesn't mean that I am right with God. So I can even have a false sense of security because I'm a church person or I'm a church member. So it's, he's really using a broad stroke here, but he's using the Jewish people as an example. Okay, a false sense of security. That's dangerous. Now everybody's looking for security today. They're looking for job security, they're looking for marital security, they're looking for home security, they're looking for health security, they're looking for social security, they're looking for national security. I mean, they, people are looking for security. And uh, they want eternal security. They want to feel like that they're secure, that they uh, have eternal life. The problem with it, though, is that the way that people approach this security, uh, eternal security, being right with God, is based on their heritage. Okay? And so what do they try to do? Well, they try to, by, as the Jewish people did, try by their own good works to be right with the Lord. Okay? And depending on their heritage, being right with God... And so some people today they hope that they have eternal security in this way. Well, number one is God is a God of love and He won't judge. You ever heard anybody say that? God is a God of love and God is just not, He will not judge people. So they have this false sense of security in that that God won't judge because God is love. But God is love, but He He will judge. Okay? Another reason that gives people a sense of false security, not just the love of God, but the fact that they think that they're pretty good, basically. You ever heard that? All people are basically, basically good. So they trust in that basic, so-called basic goodness, that that's going to give them eternal security or eternal life. I'm pretty good, and so at the end of all this, at the end of the days, my days and judgment comes, then my good outweighs my bad, and God's going to say, come on into my kingdom. So they're putting a security in that, that they think they're going to be good enough to be right with God or to go into eternal life. Do you believe that today? So this is where we come today with a lot of people. They, a lot of people have false insecurity. They put confidence in things that are not biblical. Everybody basically feels like that they're pretty good, innocent, you know. In fact, if you were to go into a jail, a prison today, if you were to minister to prison inmates, do you know that all just about every prison inmate, with very rare exception, will say, I'm innocent? Do you know that? I'm innocent. Every one of them say, I'm innocent. You know, and they use excuses. I was mistaken for somebody else. The jury was prejudiced. They had it in for me because of my skin color, or they just didn't like me. You know, there was some prejudice there. And on and on it goes, on and on it goes. That's what I'm trying to tell you. There's this false sense of security that people that are even in prison think that they're okay, think that they're basically good, and think that they're innocent when they're as guilty as they possibly can be, most of them. Now, there's some, maybe a few, that are innocent, but I'm telling you that the human nature puts a security in, I'm innocent, I'm pretty good, I'm going to heaven, you know. (laughs) God loves me and he won't judge me, you know. I'm a church goer, I've been... I've been brought up in church, I go to church every day of my life, and so I'm on my way to heaven, okay, I'm an American, and all Americans are going to heaven, I'm a Republican to boot, so I'm a Republican American, and you know, Republican Americans are Christian automatically, you know. So my point today is this, that everybody's looking for security of some kind, and especially eternal security, but a lot of them are approaching it the wrong way. And so what God does in this chapter here, he condemns the whole world. He shows how the whole world is not innocent, how the whole world is, is guilty before him, and he gives the reasons why we need Jesus Christ and the new birth. So the Jew starts out, and he, he's dependent on his security, his eternal life, based on the fact that he's a Jewish person, that heritage. Now, Jew means, is a descendant of, really, ultimately, in the Old Testament, a Jew was a descendant of the tribe of Judah. Which, and what does Judah mean? Judah means praise. Okay? He whom your brethren shall praise. Now, at the end of this chapter 2, notice what it says. In verse 29, but he is a Jew which is one inwardly and circumcision of that of the heart in the spirit and not of the letter, whose praise is not of men but of God. So the context is being Jewish here, thinking because you are Jewish naturally or nationally that that makes you right with God and that you shall have praise from the Lord because of your national descent or your heritage. Amen. Now, as time went along, here the whole nation of Israel didn't matter what tribe you are part of, the whole nation of Israel at some point the name was a Jew was applied to every one of them. Okay, you understand? But specifically, it's the tribe of Judah, and Jewish people are ones that are to be praised. But it's again, it's not based on the heritage, and I'm telling you today. You, you may not believe me, but it's it's deep in the Jewish people. You know? Just because they're Jewish, they feel like they're on their way to heaven. In fact, a lot of people believe that who are not Jewish. They will put, put the Jewish people in heaven simply because these people are Jewish. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Paul is going to totally refute that. He is going to show that that is not accurate. That just because a person is Jewish by descent naturally doesn't make them right with God, and it doesn't mean they have eternal life. Okay, you with me here? Amen. He says, "They thou art called a Jew and restest in the law." And make us thy boast of God, and knowest His will. Now, <clears throat> number one, they trust their heritage. Number two, they trust their knowledge—the fact that they they claim that they know the Bible, and many of them do. You listen to some of them. They what they are often called rabbis. You listen to certain rabbis, um, teachers. They are. Very, very highly intelligent. They have a great knowledge of the Bible, the Old Testament. You listen to them talk, all right? And you can gain a lot from them because of their knowledge. Because they have knowledge. But just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you're right with God. They put their security in their heritage and their knowledge. You understand? Just the fact that they've got knowledge of the Bible. Just because they have a knowledge of the Word of God and the knowledge of God. They believe that just because they have the knowledge of God, okay, that they're right with God. But that's not what the Bible teaches. Let's see what he says here. And know his will, all right? You've got the law, you've got the instruction. Uh, you boast in God, boast of God, and know his will and approves the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law. He said, you not only know the Bible, have a knowledge of the scripture, but you have the ability to discern what is most important. Okay? You have the ability to discern. This is important right here this is the most important thing of the word of the Lord you understand what I'm trying to show you here so they've got a knowledge they've got the ability to discern it but again just because you have knowledge and I say discern what's important not necessarily what it means do you understand See, they had a knowledge of it. Now, notice this, and because of that knowledge, they think it thought that's all it takes. Okay, I've got a knowledge of the Bible. Okay. Or, and I'm being I'm real with you, this is true. That they believe just because they have a knowledge of the Bible, they're right with God and they're on the way to heaven. Well, there's a lot of people in church that are like that. They read the Bible, they study it, they're in the Word. But just yes. because you know the Word or you hear right. the Word preached or you've got a lot of facts about the Bible doesn't make you right with God. That's right, Pastor. What are you doing with the Word? Yes. Oh, See, the action. There's no action. That's right. That's right. Just because you know it and there's no action, right. you're not right with God. Oh, right. See, let me ask you a question. How much of this Bible that we know are we putting into action? That's right. it. See, it's not enough just to... Read it and study it and hear it preached. What is important is what we hear, we put into action. But see, they claim because they knew the word of God and they they possessed the word. If they just carried the Bible with them, the scrolls, they believed that since they had the scrolls in their possession, just just because they had possession of them, made them right with God you understand? Just the possession of them and the reading and the knowledge of them made them right with God. And because they were made custodians over this book. And by the way, if it wasn't for the Jew, you wouldn't have a Bible. So I'm not, I'm not trying to be prejudiced here. Okay? If it wasn't for the Jewish nation and the Jewish people, and I am not anti-Semitic, not at all. I'm preaching you the Bible here. If it wasn't for the Jewish people, we would not have the Bible. They wrote it. Do you understand? Thank God for the Jewish people. And, and uh, we stand against the anti-Semitic spirit in this church. We totally reject it. We do not accept it. We are not anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic. Thank God for the Jewish people. Okay? But the fact that they had knowledge of the Word of God and that they possessed the Word of God and they were custodians over the Word of God doesn't mean that they are right with God. Okay? So their heritage, their nationality didn't make them right with God. That's a false sense of security. And their knowledge of the Word of God did not make them right with God and does not make them right with God today. You hear certain people will say, well, they got more knowledge of God in, you know, their little finger than I do in my whole body. Well, that could be true that they have vast amounts of knowledge, but it doesn't mean they're right with God. A man could go to Bible college and spend his life in the Word studying in Bible college. You know what I'm talking about? Get his graduate degree. He knows Greek. He knows Hebrew. He's got a knowledge of this book, but he can stand behind the pulpit lost. And people look at him and they think, man, that guy really knows the Bible. He's got a great knowledge of the Word of God. But that man can be lost because just because you carry a Bible to church with you and just because you read it and just because you hear it preached and just because the preacher studies it and he delivers it doesn't mean he's right with God. That's the point. And people say, boy, that that preacher, he must be on his way to heaven because he's got a knowledge of the Word of God and he can preach and teach and all of that. He can be just as lost as anybody that's in the world. Because possessing the Bible, being a custodian over the Bible, and a knowledge of the Word does not make you right with God. It has to be applied. It has to be lived. See? And so today I'm going to challenge you because you can come to church today and you can hear the word and you can get a lot of knowledge and you can take a lot of notes. But that didn't make you right with God. And your heritage, oh, I'm a Pentecostal, apostolic Pentecostal. That heritage did not save you. You might be a third or fourth generation Pentecostal. All right? But just because grandma and grandpa was right with God, they were Pentecostal, doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven on their coattail. But there's a lot of people in Pentecostal apostolic churches today that are children and because mom and dad, you know, they're in the church, then I must be on my way to heaven. And the children, they think they're automatically saved because of their heritage. Because they're connected to some, my point is they're connected to some denomination. Can you hear me? Okay. Now, brother yeah that's good that sounds real good okay good job all right so now you understand right that your heritage or what you know your background is does not make you right with God see that's very important but I'm telling you people put their security in that they put their confidence in that am I preaching right am I preaching the truth you hear what I'm saying today it's the truth but men, men and women do not like to hear this. This is offensive to them. This is where the offense of the gospel comes in that Paul talks about. Okay. So they knew His will. They approved of the things that are more excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident. See, they're confident. They got security. That thou thyself art a guide of the blind, a light of them which are in darkness. You are confident. Paul says, you are confident that you are a guide to the blind. Okay? So not only have you been taught the Word of God, but you do, what do you do with the Word? You teach it. You have the knowledge of the Word, and you teach the Word. Okay? So you've got, you put your security in that and your confidence in that. You are light of them which are in darkness. You know? The Jew walks around, a smug Jewish person or the smug religious church person or the, the preacher whatever walks around, you know, and he might not even be saved. I, you know, he's, they're the instructors. They tell those old no good sinners out there in the world, you know, what's right and what's wrong. You know what I'm saying? And in the Jewish mind, those old Gentile dogs. We're the Jewish people, you know. And we got a knowledge of the Word of the Lord. And we'll instruct you. We'll teach you, you know. And they literally looked at the Gentiles as dogs. They don't have the Word. They don't have a knowledge of the Word like we do, you know. Well, they can get into the church too. The Bible says, You are an instructor of the foolish. This is what they're doing with the Word. Instructor of the foolish... A teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge. The word form literally means an appearance. You appear to be something. You have an outward form, an outward appearance. Basically, what Paul is saying, you're a hypocrite. Because what you are teaching and what you are instructing, you don't believe yourself. Understand? So we went around. I know the truth. Bless God. Nobody else. Nobody else knows the truth, but I know the truth. Come on. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Watch what he says. You've got a form of knowledge and of the truth in the law, the Old Testament. It's just an appearance, though. You know the letter. You can quote it backwards and forwards. You have it memorized. You have your children memorize large amounts of Scripture. Some of those Jewish people can quote the whole Old Testament by memory. They have not memorized. Little children know more, more of the Bible. They can quote more of the Bible than you and I can in Jewish communities because they have been taught. They have been trained to memorize the Bible. I think I heard you say the first five books of the Bible by 13, right? I was going to say that. Well, I wasn't sure. But can you imagine that by 13 years old, be able to stand up and quote verbatim the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Deuteronomy? Just stand up there and just rattle it off whew, by memory? That is amazing. You know, I do good to quote one or two here and there every once in a while and, and sometimes misquote that. But I'm just telling you that they, they are amazing in their knowledge of the Word. They, again, they can memorize it and they can repeat it. But they don't know what it's saying. They don't understand the voice behind it. They don't understand the voice of the prophets. Acts 13, 27. The voice of the prophets. But they heard it read every Sabbath day. But they didn't understand the voice. What was the significance of that word? What did it mean? Truly mean? They misinterpreted it. And they misunderstood it. So when they taught the word, they taught their traditions. And then they, okay, so they had traditions of the elders. Which means what they thought the word meant. And then they had interpretations of the traditions. And then they had more traditions on top of that. Interpretation of the interpretation of the tradition of the Bible. And before long, the Bible lost its significance. It was covered up in a bunch of man-made traditions and interpretations and ceremonies and rituals. And the true meaning of the Scripture was lost. So you can memorize vast amounts of the Bible. Go to church all the time. Hear it read constantly. But what are you doing with it? If we're not doing anything with it, hasn't profit us. Now watch. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself. <laughs> Either they got this appearance. Teachest thou not thyself, thou that preachest a man should not steal, dost thou steal? So they could stand up there with this vast knowledge of the Word of God, but it didn't do anything for them because they didn't do anything with it. They didn't put action to it. Which is is ironic because in early days, the Jewish people believed that true wisdom was knowledge put in action. Greeks thought, the Greek culture, you know, all those philosophers and so-called wise men, in the Greeks. They believed that if you just had knowledge, that made you wise. But the Hebrews did not believe that just having knowledge made you wise. For a long time. But then they got swept up in the Greek way of thinking. That just having wisdom and just having knowledge and just knowing the Bible made you right. I'm telling you, how many of us are going to stand before God on Judgment Day thinking that we were right with God because we knew the Word of God and we claim to have the truth and we claim to have roots and heritage and all of that? And the Lord looks at us and says, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, because I never knew you. It's going to be a shock to a lot of people. What are we doing with the Word of the Lord? Are we putting it in action? Or are we coming to church, again, I'm telling you, I want to apply it to us, coming to church and getting more and more knowledge, more and more information, taking more and more notes, but living very little of it. I know it's the truth. Because as a pastor, I can see very vital truths that God will bring to this congregation. And for specific people. And they don't do anything with it. I'm mean, hear me they don't do anything with it I preached last Sunday uh, about the violent entering the kingdom of God the, the kingdom of heaven violence, and the violent take it by force and you've got to be violent to get in here and you've got to be violent to grow it's not passive Christianity and I preached that and I felt in my spirit that word go directly to one person and they're not even here today they're not even here today See, it's what you do with what you hear. Not what you hear. And how many people, we've seen them. How many people, even including ourselves possibly. Come in and we've had them. They come in here and they got a vast knowledge of the word of God. And they can tell you about Jewish roots. And they know all kinds of stuff. But they know the letter and they don't have the spirit. They're not born again. They have vast amounts of knowledge. But they are dead. They are not alive under God. You can be raised in church. Go through catechism even. You're looking at a preacher who went through catechism, you know, to be a a member of a certain denomination. That didn't make me right with God. You can go through all the form and all the ritual and all the ceremony, go to church and get all this vast knowledge and still be lost. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? We put pride in the church we go to. We put pride in the denomination we're a part of. We put pride in how much of this Bible we know. And thank God for the word, but what are we doing with it? Especially in America, we are fat with knowledge, running over. We can get it off the radio. We get it off the television. We get it off the computer. We can read books. We can get it. We got knowledge in this generation like no other generation before us. But it's not practiced. It is not practiced. It is not observed. And most people go to church. They go to church. They hear a preacher. And hopefully that that preacher makes them feel good. And hopefully he don't get too radical. And hopefully he don't call them sinners. And hopefully he don't, you know, ex- uncover their life with truth, you know. And, and boy, if there's any discipline or correction in that house, you know, that's archaic. That's, that's not a part of our society today. But it is the word of the Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? But they go there and they had this false insecurity. I went to church today and I heard a good sermonette. And I feel pretty good. And they filled me with philosophy and humanism to try to lift my guilty feeling. (laughs) And I walked out and I don't feel guilty anymore. And that's all they did was just lift the guilty feeling maybe temporarily. But that doesn't mean that they are saved just because they went to church today. And so he, he uses an example. He says, you teach other people why don't you teach yourself? <laughs> the teacher is going to have the greater judgment. I will have a greater judgment than you have. Okay? And I stand up here and I teach you and I try to tell you how to live your life. And I'm not, try- I'm not you know, dealing with my life and I'm not letting this Word of God and I'm not applying it to my life and I'm not living it. Then I'm a hypocrite. I have a form. That's all I've got. Now I've got an appearance. Do you understand? We can stand in the street corners and we can pray and we can talk about how much we fast and how much we pray and how much of the Word of God we know. And in those days of Jesus, they had these turbans on the top of their head and they wound them and they wound them and they wound them and they wound them and, wound them. and depending on how much knowledge of the Word of God you had, depending on how high your mound was. Tell you the truth. They walk out there on the street corners these huge Turban's on their head. Out there standing praying, you know. Oh, look at me on fast and I'm praying. Oh, oh, like I said, I never of the word of God. You know what I'm saying? Look at that, look at my head. Look at my look at my turban here. On, amen. Right. 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 We're the same way at times. On, right. <sighs> amen. Said you need to teach yourself. Thou that preachest, man should not steal. Dost thou steal, hypocrite? stand up there and tell people you shouldn't you're not supposed to steal that should not steal. You need to keep the 10 commandments, you know, and then they go out and they steal. Come on. Not doing anything with what they heard. They're not applying it. They're not living it. They know what's right. They know what's wrong. Come on. You know more today than the Old Testament people knew. You know more today. Then the people that walked with Jesus, when Jesus walked the earth, you know more today than that generation. You know more than any generation, but it's not observed. We got these big Bibles on our coffee tables and we press flowers with them. We put certificates in them, you know. The Bible is the number one bestseller of all time, but it is the least read and if it is read it is not kept it is not obeyed come on church see you know we, we do pretty good as a church until I preach something like this you know we walk around oh I'm really something praise God I, I got the truth I'm Jesus name I'm one God I can quote the Bible I, some of you say I don't even have a television well who cares you can get so full of self-righteousness then it makes God want to vomit. But the closer we get, we get to God. I know you don't want to hear this, but it's the truth. The closer we get to God, the more we see how evil we are. Listen, and that's always the case. The closer you get to God, the more you see how evil you are. The further you get away from God, the better you see yourself. Did you hear what I said? If you're close to God, then God's uncovering stuff and He's dealing with you. And He's pointing out in your life things that need to change. You need to, you need to act on this. You need to change this in your life. And the closer you get to God, the more you see your sin. Fullness. But the further you get away from God, are you here? The further you get away from God, the more you think that you're pretty good. Have you ever noticed that is a reality? I'm telling you the truth. Because God's Word is dealing with your life so that you'll put in action what you've heard. The whole question about Romans, Paul is trying to show you, what difference did the new birth make? What change took place in your life? If there has been no change in your life, then you have not been changed. If you are living in unrepented sin, that is proof that you are not saved. You cannot live in unrepentant sin and claim to be saved. See, they're claiming all these things that, that justify them and make them right with God and, and give them a security of eternal life. And God says this, you're living in sin. And that's proof that you're lost. Yes, we are! Yeah. Do you understand what, I'm, what the Bible says? People. I'm telling you, they live in a false insecurity. I can live in sin, no problem. God loves me, and I'm pretty good, basically. I've just got this one thing, you know. And I'm going to heaven. You cannot live in unrepentant sin and be saved. It is proof that you're not. And I'm just going to tell you like this. A sin is not a mistake. A sin is not an error. Sin is not a bad judgment. Sin is not indiscretion. Sin is sin. Call it what it is. And you sin against God. Thoughts, words, and actions, omissions, and desires. Five ways. Thoughts, words, deeds, omissions, and desires that go contrary to the attribute of God. Anything that you think, anything that you do, anything that you omit, anything that you desire that goes contrary to the attribute of God, is a sin. Anything. And we like to say, well, they're just growing. (laughs) Well, that could be the case. But if they are rejecting, one aspect of sin is unbelief. You know what unbelief is? Rejection of divine revelation. If you reject the word of the Lord, and God's word says, thus saith the Lord. If you reject it, and feel like you don't have to obey it. You are in unbelief. Because you have rejected the divine counsel. The divine will of God. Do you understand? But see we like to play. Well they're just, they just made a mistake. You know they just, just had a little indiscretion there. A little error there. God calls it sin. Anything. Now, if somebody's saying, well, I'm starting to feel convicted, pastor. I'm starting to feel a little condemned here. Good. That's the purpose of the law. That's why he gave the law. To put you in your place. To shut your mouth. So that you recognize why you need to be saved. Man, I'm thankful today for that. Amen. We need to know why. The Bible goes on and says, okay, so they're not putting in action. They're living an unrepented lifestyle, which is proof that they're not right with God. Doesn't matter what their heritage looks like. Doesn't matter how much knowledge of the Word of God they got. Their actions testify that they're not right with God. Does, does your and my action testify tonight, today? Now, you can play games, and you can play middle gymnastics, and you can rationalize and self-justify yourself and walk in a false sense of security, but I'm going to ask you something today out of the Word of God. Are you keeping the Word? Are you obedient to the truth of God? When you hear it out of this book, you say, that's it, I don't care how I feel, I don't care what I think about it, I don't care if I like it or I don't like it, if it's in the book, I've got to obey it. Because just because I've got a knowledge of what is right and I've got a knowledge of what is wrong doesn't make me right. So when I obey it, I become right. You understand? Now don't scream too loud. I know this is hitting home. It's supposed to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All this pride in the heart of men. The pride in the heart of of women, this ego. I'm you know, I'm somebody. I say, No, you're not, you're condemned. The whole world's guilty. You're guilty. You're guilty. Look at your neighbor and point a finger and say, Tell him, you're guilty. You are as guilty as sin. You are as guilty as death. You deserve to go to hell. You don't deserve to go to heaven. There ain't nobody in this church deserves it. Every one of us deserves to go to hell without exception. There's not anybody that's good. Every one of us has sinned against the divine attribute of God by thoughts, words, deeds, actions, omission, or desire. That's the point. See, of we say, well, I haven't done this. You know, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't. Drunk in years, and I haven't smoked pot, and I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, and all of that stuff, you know. And we go, like, man, boy, I'm doing really good. But it's like the little boy, you tell your son, Now, son, I'm going to put the trash over here by the door, and you take it out. Okay. Later on, mama said, Did You take the trash out? The little boy says, No, that was a sin of omission. He was wrong by omission, not wrong by action. I can be wrong by omission when I'm not wrong by action. What has God told me that I should be doing that I am not doing? And if I am not doing it, if I'm omitting it, that is a sin. Call it like it is. That's exactly what it is. It is a sin because I know God has told me to do something and I refuse to do it. That is sin. And how, I got one question for you. Man, I feel an unction now. I got one question for you. How many sins does it take to send you to hell? Take five real bad ones? Or one real bad one? Or one not so bad one? How many, sin, how many snake bites does it take to kill you if it's a very poisonous snake? How many snake bites? How many times you got to get bit before you die? an ass bites you or a cobra bites you or a rattlesnake diamondback bites you how many does it take to kill you if you don't get the antidote if you don't get the remedy it only takes one snake bite to kill you it only takes one match to burn a forest it only takes one bite of a snake to kill you and it only takes one sin one sin doesn't matter what degree you think it is, one sin, one desire, one omission, one action, one thought, one word that's it. One will send you straight to hell. You hear me? That's, what he's, that's the point of this passage. Yeah. Yeah. Well I'm not like everybody else, you know. I go church and I don't sin as bad as they do. And we get into this comparison thing. The Bible says Thou that says to man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Stand up preach, thou should not commit adultery. And then they go out and they say, you know what? Mm, This woman's more attractive than the one I have right now. And I'm tired of the one I got right now anyway. So, because I'm attracted to this other woman, then now that gives, you know, they feel like justification to marry them. Because they have an attraction for her. Or to commit adultery with her. Well, maybe some of you have never done that before. But... But Jesus, Jesus comes into this world and he says, if you even look on a woman to lust. If you look on her to lust, you have committed adultery already in your heart. Your desire is sin. So, uh, you know, you I don't know. Uh, but unless you're, you're kind of funny then you are guilty. You're guilty. That's real. And I hear the women saying, yeah, get, preach it, pastor, preach it. But what about you, honey? What boy or man have you been looking at lately? Having thoughts about? I'm telling you, everybody stands condemned. Everybody stands guilty before God. So, I got news for you. That right there, that last statement, put us all in guilt. Every one of us. Every one of us deserve to go to hell. Every one of us. That's right. So, we can stand up and we can preach against adultery and be committing adultery. Not by action, but by desire, by thought... And there ain't nobody in here. Come on. And I talk to some, you know, they, they, they kind of want me to get the impression that they have overcome that area of their life. And that they don't, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, well, you'll tell the truth someday, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're telling me you, ne- you never thought, you never think nothing. Oh, yeah, oh, boy, you must be blind. You're kind of like that blind, bruised, and bleeding Pharisee. If they saw a woman come in one direction, what they do? They close their eyes. <laughs> Can you, no, 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 I'm not condoning this. I'm not condoning that, all right? I'm not condoning uh, this, this desire, this adultery in the mind. I'm not condoning it, but I'm just telling you what they would do. The Pharisee, if they saw a beautiful woman coming down the street, and by the way, she didn't even have to be beautiful. But he in order to not see, I'm talking about the Jewish people here, in order to not see her, he'd go, and he'd, walk, he'd walk right plumb, right into walls, man. And you could go out and you could look in the street and say, that's a, that's a bruised and bleeding Pharisee. And, and the reason why he's a bruised and bleeding Pharisee is because he's always closing his eyes and running into walls trying not to look at that woman. Come on. Well, that ought to be enough to tell you there's a problem in the nature of men and women. It's a nature problem. That no church, no ceremony, no matter knowledge of the Word of God can deliver you from it. Because it only takes one match to burn the forest, one bite to kill you. See it. Do you understand these things? I heard somebody the other day on the, I saw him on a television interview, and this man was interviewing this young girl. He says, and he was asking her questions along these lines, and she admitted, well, she had guts. She just admitted it right there in public television. And so he said, now you are condemned. You are guilty before God. It's like she got like her eyes open to her need because she saw. Her problem was sin. What he did was he opened her eyes to her sin. And then led her to the cross. And that's why God said, you know, Brother Obed helped me with this the other day. I I was talking to him on the telephone. He said, you know what? He said, I came across something. He said, the law is used to drive you to faith. He said, the law, he said, I've come across this, this, this understanding, this teaching that the law drives you to faith. Amen. Because you recognize your need. If you think you're a pretty good old guy, you know, a pretty good old gal, you know, and you go to church and you got a knowledge of the word of God, you know, you're okay. But when the word of God is preached, the law is preached. The law shows you your sin. It gives, as the Bible says, it gives you the knowledge of sin. And then you recognize, you know what? I'm not as good as I thought I was. I need a Savior. I need Jesus. And in despair, in despair you run to Him. In despair because you've broken the law. In despair because you're under the judgment of God. You know you deserve to go to hell because you have broken His law. And because of that knowledge, I've broken the law of God. Thoughts, words, deeds, desires, and omission. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. And that's why I need to be saved. And I can't claim how good I am. I can't claim my heritage. I can't claim my denomination. I can't even claim my baptism. Well, I'm baptized in Jesus' name, Pastor. That doesn't mean you're right with God this morning. Are you walking in obedience to His word? Because if you are living an unrepented lifestyle, I don't care how many times you've gone down in that tank. You are not right with God and you are not saved. Because your ritual does nothing for you if you don't have a relationship. You got baptized and it didn't change anything. And it didn't make any difference. Your ritual is valueless has no value because you have no relationship with God. I'm talking to Pentecostals today. I'm talking, and, and not just Pentecostals, but everybody here today. But, you know, we had this thing. Well, I'm baptizing in name and I know the truth and all that. But who cares? Well, I mean, thank God for it. Don't get me wrong. I just use that. But I'm just telling you, if you're not walking with God in a relationship with Him, obeying His truth, you can lay no claim to eternal life. Zero. And we sit on the, pul- the pews and we preach behind the pulpit and we've got all kinds of stuff in us. We've got pride. But I didn't commit adultery. But we got pride. We got the sin of Satan in us. You with me here? So the law drives us to God. You see, Well, some people say, well, that's, that is cruel. That church is cruel. That pastor's cruel. That, that person that witnessed to me and told me I was a sinner lost. Condemned to hell. That's cruel. Would you say... That it's cruel to warn somebody if their house is on fire and they're asleep in the bed at night? Would you would you walk out and tell them after they woke you up and you run out of a burning house? Would you say you were cruel to tell me my house was on fire? Would, would you claim that that person was cruel if they run up to your car or even maybe hit your car and then one of you say, you know what? There's a bridge out about a mile down the road here and I had to stop you because you were going to die. Would you think that person was cruel for warning? Well, then I got news for you. The Christian and the church and the pastor that preaches the truth is not cruel. That person is warning the sinner to repent because if they don't, their destiny is hell. And we live in this culture now pseudo preachers and pseudo church systems that will tell you I'll never preach judgment then you have lost them I will never warn them I'm only going to tell them what they want to hear you have lost them you have condemned them to a, a devil's hell you have set them up for wholesale slaughter it is not cruel to stand up and warn people and tell them If you don't repent, you don't get right with God, you're going to hell. That is the Bible. Thank God for somebody. Thank God for Paul. Let me put it this way. Thank God for Paul would bring the word of God out like this and lay it out there for us. Thank God for somebody that will tell me the truth and not scratch me behind the ear and make me feel good straight to hell. You might get mad at them. You might get an ego against them. You might let your pride get a hold of you. But you better thank God that they told you the truth. Because if they didn't tell you the truth, you would be a hell-bound sinner, my friend. But we live in that culture these days. You know why? Because most preachers today are worried about lawsuits. And number two, they have no courage. There is a need for correction and discipline in the house of the Lord. It has to be there. If you let it just go, it will, it's going to go naturally into evil. You can't just let it go. So you've got to preach the actions, not just the knowledge of the Word. So the Bible goes on and says this. Watch, are you all with me here? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Abhorrest idols. To abhor something means that um, you, you hate it with a passion. You abhor it. It's, it's something you hate. And see, they, the Jewish people hated idolatry for the most part. When they came out of the bondages that they were in, Assyrian captivity or Babylonian captivity. They went into captivity, God's covenant people, because of their sin and idolatry. But when they came out of captivity, for the most part, not totally, but for the most part, they were uh, cured or delivered from bowing down to idols. You know why? Because God took them to a land full of idols. He said, you want idols? I'm going to send you to a land full of them. And they got sick and tired of idols, and so for the most part, when they came back to their homeland, for the most part, they didn't worship idols anymore. They hated idols. Amen? But it says they commit sacrilege, or they rob temples. You rob temples. You hate idolatry, but you rob temples. How could they rob temples? Well, a lot of them would go and they would take the pagan gods. God said, you burn them. You don't desire the gold or the silver. You burn them with fire. All right, all right. But they would go in there and they'd break into these pagan sanctuaries and they would rob those idols and they would take the gold and the silver for themselves. Mm. Okay, you with me here? Yeah. Even in the days of the apostles, they were still doing that. They would plunder a, a pagan temple and take the gold and the silver for themselves. You with me here? Oh, Yeah. Uh, but here Malachi chapter three talks about also, will a man rob God? Will a man rob God? And Israel will go around and say, "Well, how have I robbed you, God? God, you accuse me of robbing you. How did I rob you, God?" And God says, He just puts it right out there. He don't beat around the bush. He don't play no game. He said, "You have robbed me in tithes and offerings." He said, bring all the tithe in the storehouse. Not not 5%, not 6%, not 8%. A tithe means 10%. He said, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. But Israel robbed God because they would not bring their tithes and their offerings to God. The tithe belongs to God. It does not belong to you. So if you spend it, you robbed There's a lot of people driving stolen cars, wearing stolen clothes. Because they robbed God. They robbed temples. They commit sacrilege. Hmm. Wow. Pretty awesome stuff, isn't it? See what I'm saying? We can run around. We can shout. Wow, praise God. That was powerful, you know. And woo, I baptized as you say, I've got the Holy Ghost. believe in one God. And I'm on my way to heaven, you know. And sitting there robbing God. And that's what they were doing. They were robbing temple. Committing sacrilege. Do you understand? And there's more to it than that. But the point, you're getting the point, aren't you? Their actions are not lining up with the word. Boy, it got quiet on that one, didn't he? <laughs> man, I, mean, I preach against adultery and everything else. But yeah, but, uh, but you start talking about people's money, it gets quiet. And most of the time, they point the finger at the pastor. He just money hungry. So oh, as soon as I hear that he come out of the mouth of somebody, I know where they are, man. <laughs> they didn't condemn him. They just they opened their own mouth to their own shame. <laughs> Woo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Thou that makest thy boast of the law. Through breaking the law, dishonorous God. You claim to have a knowledge of the word of God. You claim to be the teacher of the word of God. But you break it yourself. And when you break it, you dishonor God. I'm not going to try to get you back here in the days of Paul. I'm going to talk to you. Let the Bible talk to you right now. You walk around claiming to be the covenant people of God. Claiming, come on. Knowledge of the word of the Lord. Mm. Go to church. Pray. Right? Yeah. But when you break the law or you disobey the word of the Lord, you are dishonoring God. It's impossible to honor God without obeying God. Oh, That's Got right. That's right. That's right. Amen. Amen. the point? Action. You cannot honor God and disobey God. That's right. Then why do we give a license to ourselves? Yeah. I know God, but we give a our license ourselves. Know the Word of God. Give a license. I go to church and I'm baptizing His name. One God. Hello? Amen, amen. The Bible says this. Through breaking the law, dishonest God, for the name of God is blaspheme among the Gentiles through you as it is written. Gentiles blaspheme or speak evil about God because they look at your lifestyle and you're no different than they are. You claim to be a Christian. And you live just like the world. You bring dishonor on God. Disgrace. You disgrace. You bring a reproach on the Lord. You bring a reproach on the church. When you sin. And live a lifestyle of unrepentant sin. And claim to be a Christian. You can't shack up. And live together. And claim to be a a saved child of God on your way to heaven. And you go out and you tell people you're a Christian and they find out you're shacking up and you're living in sin and you're stealing and you're robbing and all these things. You bring disgrace on the name of God by your actions. Let me tell you, most people come out here not just to hear what we say, but they come to see what we are. The world doesn't want to just hear what you got to say. They want to see it lived. They want to see it in action. Don't just preach to me. Don't just tell me what I should be doing. Let me see it in your life. And if they don't see it, then they speak evil of God. It dishonors him. It disgraces the Lord. The actions of the church. Well-known preacher falls or whatever. Falls. What does the world do with that? They ridicule the church. And they blaspheme. And they mock God. And they mock Christians. Why? Because that person's not living it. And they profess one thing with their mouth, but their actions. See, just because you came to church this morning, I'm glad that you did. And I want you to come back. But just because you came to church today doesn't mean you're right in your spirit with God. Just because I'm preaching up here today doesn't mean I'm right. Yes. Well, you don't want me to get real practical, do you? This is where I lose people. And I mean literally walk out. They walk out. You claim to be a Christian. You know, you got to. You know what? Some of you need to take your oh, honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker off your car. <laughs> That bumper sticker says, I love the Lord. Or Acts 2.38 on the back of it. You need to take that off because you're flipping people off. You're running them off the road. You're cussing them out. And as you pass them on by, they're reading, I love Jesus. Or honky if you love Jesus bumper. You need to take the bumper sticker off the back of your car. you know what I'm saying and if you got that bumper sticker on your car that says the Lord has blessed me and your doors are falling off your car and you haven't washed it in two months you haven't maintained it you need to take that bumper sticker off it says the Lord has blessed me because you are blaspheming Him you are dishonoring Him (laughs) you know what I'm saying I'm not saying you have to have a brand new car, but at least fix the doors and wash the thing. Would you, let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to come to your house today, would He be embarrassed? (laughs) Would He be embarrassed? Would He be embarrassed about the literature, the, the books you have? Would He be embarrassed about what you watch on television? Would He be embarrassed about how filthy your house is? Would he be embarrassed about how you know you're claiming to be a Christian? You got weeds this tall in your front yard. <laughs> Lord, you don't want me to talk to preach, do you? But a lot of Christians are very irresponsible and not very dependable, and they walk around, and they preach, and they tell people what to do. But people are more interested in not what we're saying as what, who we are they're looking for something what difference did the gospel make in your life how did it change you are you still cussing the same dipping and smoking and running and carousing and not being responsible and lying and cheating and not taking care of business not paying your bills and got the bill correctors running you down and oh they're a Christian Let me tell you something, I used to be in loan officer work in a credit union, and involved with that, I was involved with collections, and you know who I primarily had a problem with each month, collecting, not, not just, you know, some, everybody falls on hard times, that's not my point, it's one thing to fall on hard times and make arrangements, it's another thing to fall on hard times and hide. You know who I had, the, had a problem collecting their payments from? A pastor. And every time his name came up, it made me sick. Okay, yeah, you got a problem. come in. No problem with that. People fall on hard times. But you don't run and you don't hide. And people know you're a pastor. and You won't pay your bills and you're not a good citizen. Come on. You need to shut your mouth. Because you are dishonoring him by your actions. Lord, help me. Help me. I'm preaching to myself. I'm not just preaching down to you. I'm just telling you we got to get a gut check, we got to get into some reality living. And I know it's not easy to live. Okay? And I know that we're not perfect people. But I'm telling you, there are things that we can change, that we should change. (laughs) Come on, hear me. I'm not condemning you. And I'm not saying the world has a right to, to lay anything to your charge. But I'm telling you, that's reality. That's the way it is. So does my lifestyle say... I'm a man of righteousness and integrity. and You can depend on me. I'm loyal. And you can count on me. Come on, are you in me? Amen. I, I think a lot of times the way that you treat the house, te- uh, treat the house of the Lord is the way you, It must be a lot worse at your home, you know. If you spit tobacco on the floor of the church, the walls are probably covered in your house. You're not hearing me, are you? Lord help me, Jesus. See, you you were praising God a while ago until we got down here. Really talk, you know. <laughs> do you do you take care of your children? You got your kids in order. Are they like a bunch of monkeys hanging off the everything in the store? You know what I'm saying. When you leave that restaurant, do you have a, a total oblivious mess everywhere? I mean, food's thrown from here to 10 You got plate, you know, are you hearing me? Yeah. Plate after plate after plate of food that is not finished. And they saw you pray, Lord bless this food to nourish my body. And then, whoa, after you pray, ah! food fight. <laughs> Woo! Don't shout me down because I'm preaching good, man. <sighs> Kids destroy something in the church. You walk over there and you look at it. And you say, "Oh, somebody else take care of that." Ah, oh, God help me today. That is not a testimony. I love Jesus, I'm fired up, I'm full of the Holy Ghost. Show up 10 minutes late to church every time. What kind of testimony is that? We, we have, oh Lord help me, all the guests just close your ears for a minute. We have guests come to the house of the Lord and they walk you come, watch you come in late. Dragging in. You know what I'm saying? We can't even get the church services started on time. Where's the order is the point. I'm telling you, when the queen of Sheba went up there and she saw Solomon, she saw a temple, she saw his wealth, she saw his wisdom, but you know what got her? You know what caused her spirit to leave her? To disable her? When she saw the ministry, the order of the servants in the house, the order that was in that church caused her spirit to leave her. Took all those walls down. It wasn't his wealth. It wasn't the beauty of his house. It was the order that was in that church. The way those servants ministered. The deacons, the elders, the singers, the preachers. Everybody, it was in order. It was governed. It was right. That honor. She's a Gentile. Instead of, yeah, come on. So when you have this outward, uh, so-called outward form and you possess, profess one thing, you better be living it. I have to be living it. I stand guilty too. I'm not pointing a finger at you. I stand guilty too. I'm just telling you. We've got to change what needs to be changed. Are we dependable? Can you be counted on? Are you responsible? If if you're not living it, your knowledge and your ritual and your heritage means nothing. And I'm not mad at you. See, I'm smiling. I'm happy. I'm not not vindictive, and I'm not trying to lash you this morning. I'm just telling you, this is practical Christianity. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. I think that your house should be the best-kept yard, best-kept house, in and out. Why? Because I'm trying to honor the Lord. It doesn't mean i got a lot of money. But you know what? You can keep it. You can keep it. But I'm busy. Hire somebody. Now I'm meddling, aren't I? Look at your neighbor say he's meddling now. I'm not worried about it. I haven't had him walk out of church. I've had him leave the church. So you think if you do it it's gonna change, it's not gonna change. It's a reality. And we think we, you know, we point the finger at them. Well, there's no good old, no good devils. You got a demon, they got a devil anyway. Who cares what they think? You better care what they think. You are supposed to honor the name of Jesus, you're supposed to glorify his name. And, And it's hard sometimes. I'm not trying to condemn you, I'm just trying to help you. Maybe we got some blind spots. I don't mind if my blind spots are pointed out. I don't mind them. I, I, if somebody points out my blind spot, you know, say, you know what, you're right. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm wrong there. I apologize for it. I have a, no problem with that. If you see a blind spot in me, tell me about it. I'm serious. Now, if it's the truth, I'll acknowledge it and I'll apologize. But if it's a lie, I'll say that's not true. You with me? So we need to put to action what we hear. <laughs> well, the name of God is blasphemed the through you as it is written. They look at the lifestyle and number one, if you're living a lifestyle in sin or not responsible, they look at that lifestyle. Lord, Help me, I feel an unction here today. Are you trying to run from the creditor? You trying to hide? Make it right. They look at the lifestyle. The world looks at us. We are the only word that they know. They look at you, are an epistle known and read of all men. People look at your life. They came to see what you are more than what you say. Lord, help me today. So then you dishonor God. And they watch what the Bible says. As a result of that, we do these things. For the name of God is blaspheming among the Gentiles through you as it is written. So maybe the world gets uh, a wrong impression about God because it looks at us. Maybe it thinks God is like a certain way because they looked at me. Maybe if I'm living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin, they look, at, they look at my life They say, okay, God must be evil because He continues to allow evil in His people. And when God does step in and bring divine correction, then the people of the world says, if God deals with His people like that, who would want to follow Him? In Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Survivor are slain dead for lying to the Holy Ghost right in the house of the Lord. You know what the Bible says? People say, we're not going to join them. <laughs> Can you blame them? But see, their lifestyle brought the judgment and correction of God. He killed them in the New Testament, not Old Testament days. New Testament days, in the days of grace, He killed them right in church. He say, "We ain't going to that church." Woo! Man, if God treats His own like that. What do He do to us? So God got again. God got a bad rap, so to speak. You understand? So he can be looked at as a God who doesn't care about evil when he doesn't just step in and correct. And then when he does correct, ooh, boy, that's severe. That's strict. That's strong. Who would want to go and follow him? You see what I'm saying here? Oh, yeah, this is good. And so now the Gentiles blaspheme God. And you know what they do really is they just return what's been dished out to them. And I know some of y'all are used to thirty-minute sermonettes, but I don't preach them. I get—I I just kind of get untracked after about an hour. It takes me about an hour to find myself. So if you came here for a thirty-minute message, you may uh, see you—we we'll probably be here for about two or three hours. And I do not apologize for that. But you know, those Jews, they look at those old no good dog Gentiles who, without covenant, didn't have the Word of God, didn't have knowledge or truth. Oh, no good dog sinner Gentiles. And that's the way they treated them. And so now, the Gentiles return back to them the way that they were treated by the Jews. You understand? So are we doing the same thing the Jewish people do? Hmm, Good question, isn't it? For circumcision, then they, they, they were trusted in heritage and they were, and they were trusted in their, their knowledge, and then they were trusted in their uh, ritual circumcision. You know, I'm circumcised. Now listen to me. I, I'm, I'm going to stop after this. I don't have time to go into chapter 3. But let me just tell you this. That the Jewish person put his security... And not only his heritage, not only his knowledge, but in his ritual, his ceremony of circumcision. Genesis 17 talks about that it was a sign of the covenant. When you were circumcised, it was an obligation to keep the law. Do you understand? Circumcision was a mark of obligation to obey the Lord. So if you just went down and got circumcised and you didn't keep the word of the Lord, your circumcision was valueless. No value in it. It was just an outward ritual. That's all it was. Same thing with water baptism in Jesus' name. You can go down in that water a hundred times in the name of Jesus, but if there is no change... You just got wet. That's all you got. One aspect you don't realize though is you took his name in vain. And God will not hold you guiltless. If you take his name in vain. And that's not just cussing with it. That's getting baptized in his name. And then going out and living in sin. That's take in the name of the Lord of God your God in vain so the point is they would go up they get circumcised physically ceremonially and ritually and they think well that makes me right with God my heritage my knowledge and my ritual okay but they go out and they would not obey the Lord obey his word would not serve him okay so how does God look at that ritual then in the Jewish mind they think because they're circumcised that they cannot go to hell if you study the background, historical background of the Jewish thinking on circumcision, they believe that if a Jewish, if a man was circumcised, that when he got, if he ever even got close to hell, the gates of hell, he could not even go into hell because of his circumcision. Simply because he was physically circumcised, that kept him out of hell. It didn't matter how he lived, he could live like the devil, he could steal, rob, cheat, lie. <clears throat> but if he was circumcised, he believed he could not go to hell. So Paul deals with this ritual. Now, come on, are we like that? We're baptized in Jesus' name. A lot of us think because we're baptized in His name and we you know, have the Holy Ghost and we know the oneness of God message that there's no way that we could ever go to hell. <laughs> You're funny too. We haven't arrived. I haven't made it yet. What difference has it made? What change took place when you got baptized? Can people see it? Oh, has there been a difference? Praise God. Amen. Hallelujah. I know y'all like this preaching. I can tell. Notice what he says. Therefore, okay, for circumcision is very profitable if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. So their problem was they misinterpreted the law, they misapplied the law, and they even broke it themselves. But I'm circumcised, is what they would say. And I can't go to hell. My circumcision makes me right with God. My outward ritual makes me right with God. My knowledge of the word makes me right with God. See, they were dependent on outward things. Read Jeremiah 7 someday. They would stand up and, and Jeremiah, he's prophesying. He says, you know, judgment's coming. And the temple's going to be destroyed. And the religious Jews stand outside the temple in Jeremiah chapter 7. And they look at the temple, which was the outward expression of the law covenant. That they were in covenant with God. Observers of the word of the Lord. And they looked at that outward circumcision and that outward temple. And you know what they said? Jeremiah's preaching, it's coming down, it's going to be destroyed. And there are all these religious Jews looking at the temple, and this is what they would say back to him The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. Which means God won't do anything. This is the temple of the Lord, He won't judge the temple of the Lord he won't judge his church the temple of the lord the temple of the lord the temple of the lord are these and jeremiah says you don't put confidence get rid of your false sense of security don't put confidence in an outward structure don't put confidence in an outward circumcision don't put confidence on the outward things have you been changed inside because you cannot be a true Jew without, you cannot be the temple of the Lord. Listen, let this way. You cannot be a true Jew without being the temple of the Holy Ghost. Because it, a Jew is not one outwardly. A Jew is one inwardly. You cannot be a true Jew if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost. If you're not the temple of the Holy Ghost, then you are not a true Jew. You are of the synagogue of Satan. Revelation 2.9. You must be full of the Holy Ghost to be a true Jew. So they're up here saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of, the Lord of these. But the presence of the Lord is going out of their midst. And He's saying... Your security is only in my presence. And as soon as God walked out of the temple. They lost his presence. The temple was destroyed. Your only security is God. Your eternal security can only be found in him. Not in some ritual. Not in some form of baptism. Not in your building. Not in your denomination. Not in the fact that you feel that God will not judge you because you are His child? You cannot be a true Jew without being filled with the Holy Ghost. You can't be a true Jew unless you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Nobody can call Him Lord except by the Holy Ghost. You can't call Him Lord if you haven't been filled with the Spirit. You can profess it, but it's not a reality. You understand what I'm trying to say? So they were trusting in the outward things instead of the inward spirit of God. Are y'all getting tired? I promise you, I'm almost done. If you start going to sleep, that means I preach another hour. Because I gotta wake, I gotta get you awake, you know. Are y'all with me today? So I'm I'm going to heaven because I've got a ritual. No, no, no. I'm going to heaven because I'm baptized in Jesus' name. Whew, you could have done it and just got wet. Took His name. Blasphemed His name. Took it in vain. Are you with me today? Let me give you an example. After Let me get through this. I'm going to give you an example in Luke 16 and I'll be done. He says, For circumcision verily profiteth thou keep the law, but if thou be... A breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. It's just as if you had never been circumcised. It is as if you had never even been baptized in my name. How can I relate to this water baptism to that? Because Colossians 2, 8 through 12 tells you that water baptism is New Testament circumcision. It's no longer the physical circumcision of the flesh that, that puts you in the covenant with God. Or identifies you as in covenant with God. Physical circumcision doesn't do that. It's water baptism in His name. Colossians 2, 8 through 12. So you can be spiritually circumcised in baptism. And God look at it as no circumcision at all. Come on. Do you hear it? It's all, just a ritual. No change. No difference. The question is, what difference did it make? Was there a change? For many of us, the answer is Yes. So he goes on, For show not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law. He's talking to, again in a sense the Gentiles here. If they by nature fulfill the law, judge thee, who by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. That's why I'm telling you, you cannot be a true Jew or claim to be a true Jew. You can be that nationally or naturally, but you're not a true Jew if you don't have the Spirit of God in you. Amen. Oh, boy, that just. <laughs> Pick him up off the floor. I know, it, yeah, it's the truth. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the Spirit. So when you get filled with the Holy Ghost, God takes the stony heart out of you and puts a heart of flesh in you and writes the table of His law inside of you so you desire to live His will. There's been a change on the inside. You've been filled with the Holy Ghost. You're a true praiser. You're a true Jew because you worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now I didn't say you replaced Israel. I said you're a true Jew. Because you have been changed inwardly by the Spirit of God. So, what the Lord is saying is, okay, creation declares guilty. Your conscience declares you're guilty. The Word of God declares you're guilty. He's going to talk about that. Mm. Your heritage didn't make you right. Your knowledge didn't make you right. Your ritual didn't make you right. What's the change? What's the difference? But he is a Jew, which is one... Did I miss a verse? Verse 26, Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? That's heavy. God accounts it to him. Now, what does it mean, keep the law? Well, no man will be justified by the works of the law nobody has ever kept the law okay and nobody can be justified by the works of the law so what does he mean by keeping the law when that person recognizes they're a sinner they run to jesus and repent and they get born again and when they do that they're looked at as circumcised even though they have physically never been circumcised Do you understand? But he is a Jew which is one inwardly in circumcision of that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter whose praise is not of men but of God. People can walk up to you and pat you on the back and tell you all day long brother, you're going to heaven. They can praise you, oh you're such a good saint, you're such a good Christian, you know you're going to go to heaven for sure. Nobody else you know, might make it. But you're going to make it. Pat you on the back. Make you feel good. It doesn't matter what people say. It's a matter, it matters what God says. And you might put me in hell. Because you don't like me. But it doesn't matter. Because I'm not after your praise. I want God's approval. You're looking for God's approval, not man's approval. I'm looking for God's approval, not man's approval. In closing, let me give you a good example of this. In Luke chapter 16. Isn't that interesting? There's a play on word A Jew, Judah praise. He says, God will praise you. God will approve you. Not because I have the outward ritual down, not because I keep the Sabbath, not because I keep all of the feasts, not because I have a knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of Torah, all of that. Are you with me here? Amen. Not because I'm circumcised outwardly, because I have a national heritage, I'm a Jewish person. That doesn't make you right with God, Paul says. If you don't believe me, go look, read John chapter 8. <laughs> they said, we are the children of Abraham. Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am he even looks at him and said, you're of your father the devil. Yeah, boy. He just took their, rel- their heritage, their nationality, all of their pride in those outward things, and he said they mean nothing if they don't bring you to a relationship with God. Yes, Luke 16. We have an example of the Jew. While you turn to Luke chapter 16, I'm going to read one verse out of Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Y'all love the Lord? Revelation 2 verse 9, he says, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. He's speaking to the church of Smyrna. Then, but thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Okay, so in the context here, it could be two things: that the church of Smyrna was rich in Christ, being poverty-stricken in the world for their faith. Okay, rich in Christ, but it also could be that he's talking reference, making reference to the Jewish people. You're rich. Okay. you're rich let me read it again Revelation 2 9 Does somebody still got it read it to for me please brother you got up here go ahead brother you can read it for us okay so the context here is they say they are Jews but are not So they claim an outward heritage to be a Jew, but they are not. They're the synagogue of Satan. And so he connects that with thou art rich. Now watch this. Okay. Let's go to Luke 16. And then, of course, the Jewish person would take Revelation 2 verse 9 and say that's replacement theology. That the church is now calling themselves Israel. Let me tell you, God is faithful. If you, if you um, had uh, the ability, I would finish preaching Romans 3 and I would show you all these questions about what is the advantage of the Jew or what is the riches of the Jew. And I would talk about, well, what about the promise of God? And I would talk about, what the, pu- about the purity of God because all of these are questions in light of what Paul is preaching, but I, I can't do that because I want you ready to receive it. Okay. It's going to take me some time to go through all of that. I know some of you would hang with me all day. But Luke 16, Romans 3, what advantage does the Jew have then? What riches does the Jew have? And Paul's going to answer that question as we go through it. We'll see it. Chapter 16, verse 1, he said also to the disciples, there was a certain rich man, say rich man, Hmm. Maybe I'll just keep this part to myself. Y'all tired, aren't you? No, I need to keep some of it to myself. I got to feed, you know. <laughs> ah, Lord, I wouldn't do that to you, would I? <laughs> then wake up. <laughs> no. Look at me like you're still alive and. Okay, There was a certain rich man, the Bible says, which had a steward. No, that's the verse 1. Now, rich man. Whoa, that's good. But that's not what I want to be talking about. <laughs> verse 19. We have another rich man. And I believe he was the same rich man. But now he's in eternity. The same rich man of Luke 16.1 is the same rich man of Luke 16.19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which laid at his gate full of sores and desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom, but the rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And since Abraham afar off and Lazarus, Lazarus in his bosom, he cried and said, Father Abraham, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and thou art tormented. Beside all this, between us and you, there is a great goal fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house, where I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham said unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Exactly what the Jewish people had. In Romans 3, it goes on and explains it to you. Abraham said, They have wronged Moses, and the prophets let them hear them. He said, Nay, Father, I Abraham. But if one went into them from the dead, they will repent. He said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, did you hear that? If they don't hear them. The voice. Not just the word, the voice. They don't... If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Here is the point. The rich man, this is a true story. It's not just a parable. And it's a picture of everybody, both Jew and Gentile, who is lost. Shows you where they will end up. And that is in hell or Hades in this text. Okay? Burning torment. But this man, first and foremost, is a Jew. Because he is a rich man, he had advantage as a Jew. Okay? Revelation 2.9 connects richness with calling himself a Jew. So, the rich man here is a picture of a Jew, and he says, Father Abraham. So he claims national descent. He claims to be in the lineage of Abraham. But he is in hell. And Lazarus is a type of Gentiles. The Bible says that this Lazarus, what does he want? Crumbs, which fall from the rich man's table. And what do we preach Wednesday night? There was a Gentile that went to Jesus that wanted her daughter to be delivered from that demon and Jesus as a Jew called her a dog because she was a Gentile and she said but Lord even the dogs eat the crumbs which fall with me from the table. So, this Gentile, this Lazarus is a type of the Gentile dog who desires the crumbs. This woman who was a Gentile said, Give me crumbs. And she, by faith, embraced what Israel was rejecting in that same chapter. She embraced Jesus as the Messiah and said, Give me the crumbs. You call me a dog. Lazarus is saying, Give me crumbs. Desires to be fed from the crumbs which fall from the rich man's table. The Gentiles said, I just need a crumb off the table of the Jew. And the Bible says, a time of death takes place. And Lazarus goes into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man, who's a type of the Jew, who's tied to Abraham nationally, who has great advantage, but is, he dies, the Bible says, and he goes into hell. And being tormented, he lifted up his eyes. And he saw Lazarus so far off in Abraham's bosom. And he, he said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus that he may, what? Dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue. I am tormented in this flame. So Lazarus is in heaven by covenant. By covenant he is in heaven. Are you with me? And Lazarus has the water. He's a picture of the Gentiles who have tasted the water who have been filled with the Holy Ghost. They are in heaven. He's in heaven based on covenant even though he was like a dog desiring crumbs. The rich man's a type of Jewish man naturally tied to Abraham who dies and goes to hell. Do you understand? Now watch this. Now the Bible says that Abraham looks at he sees the rich man. He says, I, we cannot, uh, uh, Lazarus can't go over there and give you water. Because in between me and you, between Abraham's bosom, the abode of the righteous dead before calvary and hades or hell in this passage is called he said there is a great gulf fixed so that anybody that would want to come from where they are to pass over to you cannot and those that would want to go come from where you are to where we are cannot because of this great gulf it is fixed this chasm can't pass The word golf there is a medical term. And it means a gaping wound. A gaping wound. A gaping wound. A medical term. And what this passage is showing you is that the only way... To have eternal life is to enter into the blood covenant and be born again of the water and the spirit. Lazarus has both of them. The natural Jew who's tied to Abraham finds himself in hell outside of the covenant. And the only thing that can bridge the gap between heaven and hell is the gaping womb of Calvary. Jesus Christ finished work on the cross. The gaping wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ is the bridge that brings heaven to people who are lost. So it is not your natural descent, your heritage, your knowledge of the Word of God, your denomination. It is are you in covenant? Have you tasted the water of the Spirit? The rich man recognized the Gentile dog or Lazarus atop of that had the water. But he couldn't pass over. Only Jesus' death on the cross gives you the right to go into eternity securely. Without Him and without the new birth being changed inwardly You have no hope of eternal life. And you have no security. It is only by the gaping wound of Jesus that a bridge is built. Let's stand. Father God, I give you the praise and the worship and the glory. Tonight we recognize, this morning we recognize, that our religion, our ritual, our knowledge, our own goodness does not make us right with you. Our right standing with you is based on the fact, Lord, that I've been justified, I've been made right by faith in Jesus Christ and the new birth by that covenant. I thank you, Lord, today. God, that You laid the iniquity of us all upon Jesus. You put my sins on Jesus. You put them on His account. Because of my faith in Him, I've repented of my sin, been water baptized in Your name and filled with Your Spirit. You are my Master. I serve you. I live for you because I belong to you. I thank you for the gaping wound of Calvary's cross that bridged the gap between heaven and hell. Only by your blood and the new birth that you've offered can I be right with you. I pray for the Jewish people, I pray for Israel this morning. God that their eyes would be opened. They would get a revelation that you are the Messiah and the only way to be saved. I praise and I worship you. I thank you for speaking to to me this morning and to this church this morning. Your law and your righteousness, your holiness, your purity condemns me, uncovers my sin, and drives me to the cross. Lord God, I don't claim today that I'm right with you because I'm a part of a certain denomination. Or because of some ritual I've gone through. Because I'm good in myself. I thank you, though, for the awesome work of the cross. Finished work of Calvary. I'll lay hold of that today in Jesus' name. I pray for those this morning who need to repent of their sin. Who need to be baptized, not just to go through a ritual, but to have those sins remitted in Jesus' name. Those people who need to be filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues. I pray for their salvation right now, and I pray that your word and the law the truth that has been preached to them this morning would drive them to despair, hopelessness, till they utterly flee to the open side of Jesus Christ. This is offensive to the flesh, Lord. We like to believe that we're good enough we like to thank that we have done it. But Lord, today, we're humbled. We thank you for the truth. We thank you for the law. We thank you for the word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I'll tell you, if you really get born again really get saved your lifestyle will declare it it will be seen you'll be living a lifestyle of unrepentant sin something will change in you you're going to want to do what's right and not only want to but have the power to do it because it, the x-ray has showed you where the problem was and jesus is the only remedy and I praise God for the truth today and I pray if you're not born again that you're not putting confidence in anything in a false security in anything that's going to keep you out of, out of heaven and find you where the rich man was in hell it's real that is the con- condemnation of the broken law is hell but Jesus made a way to save you and to save me but if I don't know what I'm to be saved from. I won't come to him. But now because I know. What I must be saved from. I run to him. Amen. Brother Obed testified to me. One day we had, we were having a Bible study in the house. And I was talking to Brother Obed. And I was talking to him about getting saved. And, and I remember that night. And. He, he sort of looked at me uh, sort of bewildered. He, he didn't understand what I was talking about. And, uh, and I, in turn, looked in him, at him bewildered because I couldn't understand why he didn't understand what I was talking about. And we just kind of just looked at each other, you know, and, and uh, never came to a solution that night. But he told me, he said, Pastor, he said, I didn't understand what you we were talking about. Saved. Why do I need to be saved? What do I need to be saved from? He didn't know because he didn't know the law of God. He didn't know the word of God. He didn't know what he needed to be saved from. And he told me, he said, now I understand. He said, because the law came. And when I understood the law, then I understood my need. And that's the importance of preaching what I just preached is that you understand why you need to be saved and what you need to be saved from and what is the consequence of sin and what is sin and where does it lead you and where do I have to go to be right with God. There's nothing like it. It's the only way, man. How many of y'all are born again this morning? How many of y'all, there's been a difference in your life? There's been a change in your life. You no longer walk around and say, I'm a, I'm a this or I'm a that or I'm a this or I'm a that. Washed in the blood, filled with the Spirit. God's grace. Didn't give me a license to sin, though. Didn't give me a license to go live like I used to. He came to save me from my sin, not save me in my sin. Hallelujah. So that little thing that comes around and says, well, everybody sins a little bit. You don't have to sin. You don't have to sin. You yield to sin if you're a child of God. Everybody's under the law right now. All redeemed, unredeemed men are under the law of God, showing them their sin, condemning them, driving them to Jesus Christ. Y'all love the Lord? I can talk all day. I just, I just got a love for the Lord. I love for His Word because He has changed my life. And I don't have religion and I'm not offering you religion. I'm offering you a relationship with God. You're dismissing the name of the Lord Jesus.